prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. To another episode of Gutter Boys. This is episode 46. I'm your host, JB, with my co host, Cam. Today we are joined by our special guest, Sam Zabo, a Chicago based cartoonist, amazingly hilarious writer, former mm-hmm. Onion writer. Before we get into our interview with Sam, though, we're going to go ahead and discuss our usual uh, cycle of news and shout outs. Yeah, so let's go ahead and get started on that real quick. Uh, we mentioned this stuff on the Patreon episode, but admittedly, we have a wider listenership that don't subscribe. So if you do want to subscribe, patreon.com forward slash gutter boys. We're like $20 out from $500 a month. So uh, that's really insane. So thank you all so much for signing up. Um, there's different tiers available to you. Uh, I'm going to start putting the second issue of Pimp Digest together probably next week sometime. So that'll be out the doors to you all soon. So if you want to make sure that you get a copy of that, sign up to our Patreon by April 1st to get the second issue. Real quick, uh, just wanted to shout out Instagram user David Craig. David Craig sent us some books called Brick, and uh, they were really, really awesome. Uh, kind of, you know, old school style cartooning. Uh, relies a lot on sight gags, but um, it's not boring at all. It's uh, pretty clever. Uh, really uh, nice compositions as far as the page. I enjoyed them. You can find him on Instagram at Dave Comics, C-O-M-I-X. Uh, yes. Thank you, Dave, for the packages. He also sent along a letter uh, along with his books. Uh, it reads, Hey, JB, I messaged you on IG about sending my comics. I'm at Dave Comics. I've been self-publishing comics in Toronto for over 10 years. Brick by Brick is my freshest release from December 2020. Brick Breaks Free is the first solo brick book from 2019. It was nominated for the Doug Wright Awards. And I uh, hope you enjoy the comics. I very much appreciate you taking the time to check out my work. I'm totally addicted to the Gutter Boys pod. It gets me hyped to make more comics. Keep cranking out those sweet episodes. David Craig. Thanks, David. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank and, you uh, so we much. do really enjoy the books, so thanks again for sending those. Yeah, and if you want to send us comics, you know, we'll shout you out on the show. We'll take a look at them. Just DM the uh, Gutter Boys account or my personal account at Cam Del Rosario or at Gutter Boys Pod on Instagram, and I'll hook you up with our addresses. Uh, you know, we like getting stuff from our listeners, and it's cool to see what you all are making. So, uh, you know, thanks for sending those again, Dave. What else is there? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sean Knickerbocker. Yes. He's editing and in an anthology called Rust Belt Review. It is honestly one of the nicer looking uh, books I've gotten in some time. And the contributor list is uh, a bunch of uh, gutter gang alumni that have been on the show. Um, you've got uh, Sean himself in there, like I mentioned, but uh, previous guests, M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, Caleb Arecchio are all in there. Just really good stuff. It's the first issue. I want to say it's quarterly. I believe it is. Second issue, I think, is coming out in a few months, but uh, definitely get 
get the first one. If you haven't, you can find Sean on Instagram at Sean Knickerbocker, and uh, he's got it for sale in his web store. Speaking of MS, shout out to MS Harkness for their recent uh, award nomination, right? They had something Yeah, posted. something happened. I saw something on an Instagram story. Uh, we should probably look that up instead of no, just- No, it's okay. Congratulations, MS. We're going <laughs> to- no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats to whatever happened, I guess. Yeah. Whatever the fuck happened. You I'm definitely deserve you. it. Whatever happened. Yep. Whatever happened, I'm very happy for you. It's the first <laughs> of many and, uh, you know- Oh, and also congrats on the announcement with Fana because that's yeah. something we've been holding back for the last couple of months. And for teaching, you know, you're teaching comics in Columbus, just, yes, you know, amazing stuff right. all around. You really love to see uh, your friends eating. So, uh, yeah, get that bag. Know, very proud of you. Very proud of you. The uh, award is no longer on their story. So, congratulations <laughs> to your award nomination, <laughs> MS. <laughs> Real quick before we get into news, I do want to thank anybody that bought my comic from Strangers Staycation. Uh, it sold out ridiculously fast. I'm not going to front like I made a fuck ton of copies. You know, we made like 70, but it would have taken me like a month or two to move that many copies before. So the fact that we sold that many in uh, less than 20 minutes is crazy. I think Strangers is just uh, doing cool stuff. They're doing that like, uh, you know, cool hip like timed capsule drop things. So uh, if you didn't get a book and you wanted one, I'm very sorry. Uh, I didn't anticipate that Eddie, who runs Strangers, sent me a message saying, I think we'll sell out in a few hours. And I said, I think we'll sell out in like three to four weeks if we're lucky. So I didn't anticipate that reaction to it. And uh, I want to thank Eddie for doing the book and any of you all listeners that bought the book. There are 10 copies that are going to be going to the Wig Shop Web Shop in Colorado. You can follow them at Wig Shop Web Shop on Instagram. I don't know when they're going to be up in their store, but um, we're not reprinting this one just because it's older stuff. And I'm really sorry. But if you do want a uh, PDF, PDF of the book. Well, not the book, but just all my comics, including ones that have been in there. Just DM me and I'll hook you up. So I guess we should start talking about some news. Uh, a lot of stuff has been happening since we last talked about what's been going on in the uh, comic art world. Uh, one of the biggest things that has been repeatedly uh, been discussed over the last two weeks is NFTs or non-fungible tokens. Cam, what do you know about those? Blake told me that NFT stood for nice fucking tallywhackers. So, uh, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, uh, that's what I know about them. No, um, I know that they are very polarizing and they've got the uh, art world uh, up in a frenzy. Essentially, uh, I know that they're bad for the environment. I know that I am against them because of their environmental impact based off of what I've heard. I'll be completely honest. I'm too dumb to like wrap my, like when I'm reading the articles, I'm like, yeah, okay, I get this. But like as far as like repeating everything, I can't. So I really just listen to the group chat, which is <laughs> I don't even know if I should be like, oh, I don't really know. But uh, no, I mean, from everything I've seen, like I don't actively seek out news on it. But from everything I've seen, like I'll, I'll read articles that are shared by a group chat that we're in. That is anti-NFT. So all the information I've been consuming is just about how dog shit they are. Yeah, one of the biggest issues has been the environmental impact of NFTs. Uh, we're not going to go really too in-depth about NFTs in terms of like how they function, just because there's like two or 300 articles out there already discussing the same subject matter. If you deal in cryptocurrency, it's pretty much similar in terms of how they function uh, using blockchains and uh, these massive servers that consume large amounts of energy. And we're not talking about one or two households. I mean, we're talking about like enough to run an entire country for years. Right. So right. It, it's a large amount of energy that's being burned through just to create uh, these uh, tokens. It's very, very bizarre. 
And like, here's the thing. I will say this. Like, there was, you know, environmentally responsible way to do this. I have no problem with artists getting money. That's not like what my beef is here. I think it's a bigger problem than just the art world being absorbed into this. But I don't want it to come off like even though I don't agree with like how this is being done, I'm not against artists getting paid for their art. And I'm not even against these NFT things fucking existing if there was a smart way to do it that didn't fuck up the planet. You know, like if it's another avenue for artists to get money, cool, but it shouldn't be destructive. Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot of other negative aspects to NFT that has been addressed online as well, especially on Twitter a couple of times. With like the screenshotting and shit? Yeah. Well, if you just take out the element of it being environmentally horrible, right? Like if you just take that out of the equation and then you just look at what NFTs are. The main issue, well, one of the main issues that have been brought up is the fact that uh, this perceived idea of ownership and what is the original versus what is the copy. See, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, go off because I don't know anything about this. So, uh, yeah, listeners, you're uh, you're hearing me getting schooled right now. Yeah. So, there is a uh, Twitter user at Hello Hanabi. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Okay. So, they tweeted, hi, Twisted Vacancy, who is a crypto artist or a uh, NFT artist on Twitter. Uh, they asked, can you stop plagiarizing other artists' work? How dare you make money off of someone else's art and visual style and claim it as yours? So, the uh, issue here is the fact that once your art is stolen to be tokenized or turned into an NFT, non-fungible token, your original art is then regarded by those in the crypto market as the fake one. And the original, the one that actually has some sort of uh, value in the marketplace for some reason, is the NFT itself that's that's been encoded with the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, this basically implies that anyone's work can be copied, turned into an NFT, and then sold as an original without you even knowing about it. This has happened on multiple NFT platforms already by a variety of different artists. So this person is not the first person to bring it up. Uh, And I do see this becoming an ongoing issue with NFT. A lot of this issue here is because there's, uh, it's it's a new thing, right? Like it's a new fad that people can dive into and be invested in and spend their time and money on because they've got nothing better to do with their fucking time and money. Right. They're not interested in investing in their own communities, so they'd rather invest in some sort of uh, tech bro pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. It's kind of embarrassing, to be honest. And there's also some comic artists that are pro NFT as well, who are trying to jump on this bandwagon and join the likes of, you know, Elon Musk or whatever to try and make a quick buck off of this. Because, you know, the reality is if you're a working comic artist, this here is the only time you're ever going to get money. Right. This is one of the few instances where comic artists can actually make enough money to not worry about medical bills, to pay their 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 rent, their whatever their bills are, their monthly bills. Uh, if you have family, it, it's going to go towards that, I guess. Uh, so I can understand from their perspective why they're going after NFT. It's mostly because there's nothing in comics. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of like in their eyes, a quote unquote viable way to make money. So I, I get that. I understand that. Do I think it's right? No, of course not. It's fucking stupid. Right, right. I think there's a lot of artists, too, who are uh, spearheading this movement or this this new cryptocurrency by people like James Jean, basically artists who are already very, very well known, who are already making quite a bit of money off of their work, and they just see this as another way to diversify their income streams. Right. So, But the problem is a lot of people are presenting this as, oh, look, now you can also make a lot of money like James Jean. Obviously, that's not the case, right? Yeah. The, the It's just the rich getting richer. You know, they already have right, the right, exposure right. in the audience. Like, you've got a lot of these, like, low-level artists being like, oh, here's my NFT, just because, like, it's something to get into, you know? Yeah. And it's something that they see as a viable way to actually be noticed and get money off of. Right. right? But they're not realizing that it is, I mean, very very clearly just a scam 
Mm-hmm. Like yeah. in no other ways to, to put it, it is absolutely just a scam. It's going to benefit a very small percentage of artists and then everyone else is going to have to eat the costs. And then on top of that, everyone else is going to have to eat the ramifications of the environmental impacts that this is going to have. Uh, so I don't see this as a win for anyone, to be honest. I yeah, mean, luckily, we have other cartoonists out there who are being very vocal about why NFT is a problem and mm-hmm. should not be supported. Guys like Michael DeForge, who, you know, has been very, very vocal about his positions on certain things, uh, in particular, uh, SPX's relationship with Amazon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hearing him being anti-NFT is not that surprising. But then there's also people who are going into NFTs that I was not expecting. And to be honest, is a little disheartening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, for sure. You're seeing people get involved and it's like, you'd think with like the discourse, they would like stay away, you know, but I guess you you never know what someone's motives are. You know, they could be cool and it's just disappointing sometimes when you see them, especially because I think this is, I don't think we're going to be talking about NFTs next year. You know, yeah, like, probably not. No, yeah, I, no. I don't think this is going to be a thing. I, it's a thing right now, but I don't think there's going to be much longevity. I could be wrong. You know, we'll talk about it in a year from now if I'm wrong, but I just, you know, like you I think there's a bubble. I think it's a fad, you know, so I just, it, yeah. It, it's also just a desperation move, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like I said, a lot of these people really just don't have any real either following or presence on any kind of platform. Uh-huh. Uh, that can sort of uh, equate to a better living wage. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of these folks are working full-time jobs and then also making comics on the side, and they just see this as another way to make some some money because yeah. comics isn't going to make them money. But this is not the answer. I'm sorry. It's not. I, I understand that the, the glitz, this life raft come to you and, and be the answers to all of your problems. Historically, that's always been a fucking death trap. Like if there's anyone that comes to you and presents you with, hey, these are the easy answers to all of your problems. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you that that person is lying. Yeah. I mean, it just, I don't know. I, I've learned more about this shit from you telling me this in real time than I had known previously. Like, you know, I'd read a couple articles here and there, but ultimately, you know, I just, I don't know. I think like, it's weird because, you know, I would never want an artist to not make money off their art, even if I fucking hate your art. But yeah, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally do this, you know? So like you said, I'm, you know, I don't think it's a good move, but you know, it kind of is what it is. You know, what are you going to do about it? But it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's an example of a bigger problem at hand, I guess, right? Yes, it is pointing to the failures of the comic industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is an indication of a bigger problem. A lot of people are also pointing that, you know, the, the environmental damages from NFTs are almost as bad as, say, the larger art market with a capital A, mm-hmm. you know, like Sotheby's and all these other auction houses and the sort of like the fine art world. And look, I've, I've worked in that world. I fucking hate it. It's awful. It, it makes anyone that even would be mildly interested in the art world, it makes them not want to do it. Mm-hmm. Because again, just like what we're seeing now with NFTs, it is a massive pyramid scheme. It only benefits a very small percentage of people and they're all extremely wealthy. Most people use it as a tax haven so that they don't have to pay taxes on their large amounts of money that they just keep in, right. in their fucking Scrooge McDuck vaults. <laughs> It's entirely unregulated, Mm -hmm. just like NFTs. So, yeah, the idea of saying, oh, well, if you think NFTs are bad, then shouldn't you be denouncing? Yeah, yeah, they're both bad. (laughs) That's not an argument. At no point did anybody say NFTs are bad. That's why we need to support Sotheby's. That's why we need to support, you know, the fine art world. No, no one's fucking saying that. We're saying this is a problem we've already seen repeated in this world. Why the fuck would we drag it into our world? Makes no sense. Mm hmm. Yeah. So that's been that's been the major issue. And, you know, initially, I didn't think publishers like comic publishers would actually be dumb enough to take a risk on NFTs. But oh, boy, when you know it, 
Wouldn't you fucking know it? DC makes the fucking first move. <laughs> yeah. So DC presented an official statement on all social media. Basically, this letter was dated March, stating, Dear Freelancers, Non-fungible tokens are becoming the newest fan collectible and have generated significant press and buzz in the digital space. DC is exploring opportunities to enter the market for the distribution and sale of original DC digital art with NFTs, including both new art created specifically for the NFT market, as well as original digital art rendered for DC's comic book publications. As DC examines the complexities of the NFT marketplace, and we work on a reasonable and fair solution for all parties involved, including fans and collectors, please note that the offering for sale of any digital images featuring DC's intellectual property with or without NFTs, whether rendered for DC's publications or rendered outside the scope of one's contractual agreement with DC is not permitted. If you are approached by anyone interested in including any of your DC art in an NFT program, please let Lawrence Ganim, DC's VP, Talent Services, know. We expect the participation of DC's freelance talent will be an integral component of the NFT program that DC puts into place. We'll share further information as it becomes available, and we appreciate your cooperation and partnership. So yeah, that's pretty much the, the gist of it. They are making it clear that they're looking into uh, finding ways to market NFTs. That really should not be that surprising, I guess. But this has gotten some pushback. Marsha Cook, widow of Darwin Cook and manager of his whole estate, went ahead and asked DC to stop using his art for NFTs purposes. Hell yeah. Darwin Cook, big dick motherfucker from the grave. Yep. Hell yep, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. So I'm hoping more quote unquote freelancers uh, look at this letter and really reevaluate what they want from comics. Yeah. And if this is not what they want from comics, they need to make it very clear to DC that that's the case like how uh, dear Marsha Cook has, because this is not going to help anyone. I mean, that's the bottom line. Anybody that tells you that this is going to help you as an artist or be the, the way in which you can finally live a comfortable life, they're lying to you. They're lying through their teeth. Mm -hmm. And if you're dumb enough to fucking take the bait, I'm, I have nothing to say to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I think this was just decent. I mean, here's the thing. I get what they're saying. Like, I get that, you know, they technically own the properties, but it's just kind of a shitty, like, threat, like the wording. I don't know. It just seems like they should have went about it in a better way. But it also just sucks that they're also just getting involved as well. Uh, but who knows? I mean, like, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying, like, I don't think this shit's going to last that long. I think, you know, with anything nowadays, it gets so overhyped and sensationalized online because it's like the topic of the week. Granted, it has been longer than a week, but I just don't think that this is going to be a topic of discussion in a year. You know, I just think it's just probably phase out a lot quicker. So I don't know. It's all just fucking bullshit. I have nothing constructive to add to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I, I think people really need to take into account of like how predatory this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It does hammer this idea that you are a freelancer. You mm -hmm. are an expendable hired hand. Yeah. And you should be thankful for any crumbs that we throw to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and that's if just... you've been, yeah, I mean, if you've been eating plates and plates of that shit for years mm -hmm. as a professional working artist, something comes across your table that says, hey, here's a way to, to make some quick money and a lot of it in a digital space. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time seeing why anyone who maybe doesn't understand NFTs to be like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. Where do I sign up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things, like any pyramid scheme. The more you learn about it, the more you realize that it is absolutely bullshit. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, hey, I wish Matt Fury the, the best of luck on all of his NFT endeavors. Yeah, he's for sure. I, I said this all fair, but if he does an NFT of Pepe, he's going to make millions. Some edgelord is going to drop so much Bitcoin on that thing. 
Yeah. And then, I mean, who knows? Maybe then Bitcoin will crash again like it did a couple months back. And then he'll have <laughs> he'll have three or four dollars worth in, in fucking Bitcoin. For- Actually, well, you know, what's really crazy about that Matt Fury thing is uh, I don't think he's running his social media. It has his picture on it. But I think the crew that did the movie about him uh, last year is running it because people yeah. were criticizing Fury online about it on Twitter about getting involved in the NFT or whatever. And like the producers were like, our movie was one of the most stolen movies of the year last year. So if you want to hate on us getting money, blah, blah, blah. And it doesn't seem like it's actually Matt Fury talking. And that documentary, Matt Fury seems like he's not online. He just seems like he's just an artist that does what he wants. And he has a team that does that shit. So it's kind of weird. Like, I almost wonder how much Matt Fury's on board with this versus his team pushing him to do it. It could be a combination of both, but also like if you're stupid enough to hire a team to make all of your decisions for you, then I would imagine <laughs> that this shouldn't surprise anybody yeah, uh, that go. a bunch of fucking dumbass, talentless uh, middle managers literally you know, have to have you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. But yeah, Pepe's so it's not. It's, it's, you know, w- when you put that into account, it's really not that shocking to think that Matt Furry would get into NFTs. And also, I mean, like he could say no, you know, ultimately, like his team doesn't have anything without his approval. So, right. I mean, they're being paid by him. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that that yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because he's really, really hard for cash. Although it's weird that you have an entire team working for you, if that's the case. But, you know, whatever. Well, that documentary, it was actually really sad because like he had made all this Pepe merch and like it was really nice, like uh, like button up T-shirts all over print. And uh, he was talking about how much money he lost, like tens of thousands of dollars just because like the, the movie. Did you hear about it? That feels good, man movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't care to watch it, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I watched it while it was free on PBS, but um, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, talking about how much money he lost because like he didn't want to sell official Pepe merchandise with like Pepe, you know, symbolizing the alt-right. So, I mean, I feel for him there. Do I think he should, you know, try to make millions off an NFT to make things right? No, but you know, like he did get dealt a really bad hand uh, all in hindsight. It's really kind of ironic because, you know, the whole like ownership thing of NFT, like Pepe got stolen from him. So, you know, like literally stolen and co-opted. Yeah, and, and it'll this happen again meme. now. <laughs> and yeah, now he's just guaranteeing that it's going to happen. Yeah, so, yeah, he's really, you know, yeah, really shooting himself in the foot there a mm-hmm. couple times. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll cry about it on the way to the well, bank, it, I guess. It's also funny, too, because Pepe was a unofficial mascot for like the alt-right. And as you probably know, cryptocurrency and things like cryptocurrency, like NFTs, are pretty much overwhelmingly tied in with the alt-right. Bunch of white. Like shady libertarians. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, it's it's literally money laundering, you know? So you have to think about the types of people that are being involved in this stuff. And these are not the type of people that you want to be involved with, especially if your main concern was, you know, my cartoon character, my original character got turned into an alt-right mascot. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to sell it to alt-right Bitcoin miners. Right. It's just, you know, like I, I wish there was another alternative, but you know. Yeah. Another, another uh, comic artist that's been sort of on the forefront of actively discussing NFTs and why it's a bad idea is a friend of the show, Artem. How do we pronounce that? Do you know? I always, do you know? Art, I always say Art Yum, but it's probably wrong. That's just me sounding it out phonetically and being from Kentucky. So Artem uh, Trakhanov, is that right? Yeah, our boy Artem. He's a comic artist based out of Russia. Mm-hmm. Really, really love his work. Also really solid guy. Yeah. But he's been... Um, Making it a point to just bully as many NFT losers as possible yeah, <laughs> on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it is it is a beautiful thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it, it's really been like one of my favorite things on Twitter right now. He's literally bullied himself into being able to write a comics journal article <laughs> about NFTs. Yeah, no, legit, so- <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And he's forced a lot of these people to like turn a lot of their accounts into private. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. man, he's because he's got clout. He's like, really you know, upset he's like a, a lot of these losers. Well, he's got like a lot of Twitter followers, you know, because he's like a pretty I mean, he, he was doing those books at Image First Knife. And, uh, you know, he, he just does like a lot of cool looking art, you know, so he's got a lot of followers. So he's like scaring these people into going private because, you know, he's got so much engagement online. It really rocks to see. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, Michael DeForge has a huge following. So, yeah. it, it, I think he's been able to reach a lot more people as a result. Yeah. So, yeah, I just hope that more more cartoonists and just people in the scene who maybe have a larger audience will be, you know, more vocal about this stuff, uh, which, you know, it's not to say that it hasn't happened. Clearly, that's been the case. You have a lot of people yeah. uh, sort of going up to bat to discuss why this shit is, is bad for everyone. Mm-hmm. But then also on the other side of that coin, you have a bunch of fucking cowards just simping nonstop for NFTs yeah. and, and trying to like work themselves into a shoot. It's, it's, very, it's very funny. It's very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that, that's know, pretty much our, uh, our overall analysis. summary of NFTs. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. Basically, it sucks. Marsha Cook rocks and Artem rocks. Yeah. And uh, if you fucking invest or make any NFTs, uh, you're a fucking loser and nobody's going to remember you. So, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Damn. Get their asses. So, yeah. That about does it for this first segment. Uh, as always, you can find us online at Gutter Boys Pod on Instagram and Twitter, patreon.com forward slash Gutter Boys for, uh, you know, Exclusive content, bonus episodes, uh, commissions, uh, a monthly magazine, and, uh, you know, so forth. I'm at Cam Del Rosario on there, and JB is at Mort Crimp Jr. Anything else you want to say before we get into the break? Yeah, actually, real quick, oh, I sorry. wanted to shout out a friend of the show, Yewan. They're raising money oh, right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, so they are doing a custom rug raffle. They've been making these really beautiful rugs. I, I don't know how else to describe them. They're, they're about... 10 by 10, roughly. I mean, I think that's the largest they get. And they're all handmade. Uh, if you're interested in seeing what they look like, you can go uh, check out their work on Twitter at YayStation4. Uh-huh. Uh, you can also go on Instagram and check out their work that way, too. In depth, real quick, the raffle benefits... Red Canary Songs Mutual Aid Fund. Yes. There you go. Oh, dude, they changed their Instagram name to YayStation4. Oh, so it's also YayStation4. Yeah, huh? it used to be the Lit Liz Laywan. Uh, okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. So they're on Instagram at YayStation4. Yeah. So they're on Instagram and Twitter as at YayStation4. And so you'll find their information about their raffle. Yeah. So essentially you make a $10 donation to the uh, Red Canary Song Mutual Aid Fund and you DM Yewan a uh, receipt showing your donation. You're entered into this raffle to get a custom rug. Yes. They also point out that LCS Hernandez Ortiz, the survivor from that recent shooting in Atlanta, mm -hmm. will require a lot of assistance for completing the recovery from that incident. Uh, so his wife has set up a GoFundMe to go towards his medical bills. So right now, Yewan is accepting $10 donations to that person's GoFundMe as a raffle entry alone. Nice. Uh, so you can donate to both and you'll have two raffles so yeah i mean win-win i guess so yeah go check out the uh custom rugs and uh get yourself and get yourself a, a raffle ticket and uh get an opportunity to get one of these really wonderful pieces that uh yay one's been making hell yeah all right well yeah that'll do it uh when we come back from our break we'll be joined by sam uh so stick around we'll be right back this program is brought to you in part by a generous donation of twelve dollars by the michael sweater foundation for the arts at Michael Sweater Foundation for the Arts, we are committed to supporting stuff that rocks. Michael Sweater encourages you to also sign up for the Gutter Boys Patreon and to buy the latest issue of Strangers, Bubbles, and other zines about comics. Also, please make more zines about comics and comics history. 
It doesn't even have to be good. Also, Silver Sprocket rules. Hey, Gutter Gang. Uh, we want to tell you about a webcomic that is also one of our Patreon supporters, Soggy Landing. Soggy Landing is an epic fantasy adventure about a weed wizard that stumbles into a gunpowder plot to smash the state. There's lots of cartoon animals, magic, historical, and literary references, drugs and flashbacks, songs, horror, gore, and the occult. Twice a week, there are new pages of Soggy Landing at Study Group Comics, and there are over 200 pages of frogs, bears, and revolution waiting for you right now. You can follow them on Instagram at welcome underscore two underscore soggy underscore landing or at Ian Densford soggy landing hell yeah dude now back to our program Welcome back from the break. We are uh, just chilling. Uh, let me try that again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back from the break, and we are joined by our guest for today, Sam Zabo. Hi, Gutter Boys. What's going on? What's up? Oh, I'm vibing. I'm vibing. Just been uh, hell yeah. yeah, having a pretty chill day, reading and drawing. Very good. Nice. Very good. Yeah, that's like every day for me right now. It rocks. Yeah, it does fucking rock. Tell, has everybody here seen any of the American Pie movies? Uh, like 10, 15 years ago. Okay. Well, in American Pie 2, I was telling somebody this is how I feel today because they extended unemployment and everything. So, like, I feel like they're not going to extend it again, though. Like, this is like, we've already this, gotten yeah. too much. This is probably This it. is it. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. like the last of it. Yeah. So I, I, I was telling somebody today that this is like American Pie 2 when they like know that their life is all going to be drastically different after the summer. So I feel like I'm in that cabin on the beach in American Pie 2 just trying to do it big real quick, <laughs> getting all the reading and drawing I can done. That's oh, such yeah. a specific <laughs> reference. No, I've never seen that movie and I uh, uh, don't, don't intend it. to. It's, yeah. yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> but I relate it, to the sentiment. Yeah, it, it was a horrible, horrible film. Horrible. Yeah. Blink-182 was in it, though. If uh, you're into 90s, 2000 pop culture. Oh, yeah, yeah, I am. I am. I've been really into it lately because I'm trying to escape the present. So, like, yeah. No, yeah, I that's fair. That. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's very real. All right. Yeah. Derailed already. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> no, no. That, that is very real. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the present, uh, what have you been up to uh, comics-wise? Uh, I've been up to a, a lot. Uh, I've been really feeling that exact. Uh, American Pie 2 sentiment that that can't be played out. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's like I'm technically just like furloughed from my job right now or like I'm just on leave or whatever. So like they can call me back at any moment. So like I'm not even like looking at the unemployment clock. I'm like, shit, like these vaccines are out. Like I have zero idea of how much time I have left. Uh, so I'm just like frantically trying to make as many comics as I can while I still have this disposable time. Uh, yeah, sorry, what? No, I was gonna say, yeah, it's like you're kind of racing against the clock for sure. Cause like, you know, I, I feel like it's like a recurring thing with the show guests and everything, like in the part of the dialogue, it's like, as much as everything sucks, it's like been a really good time for like cartoonists right now <laughs> to get work done. So, but yeah, and oh, yeah. that clock's expiring and it really sucks. 
Absolutely. I mean, it really took me the whole year to, like, kind of get my marbles back together, though, and, like, get back into, like, a routine as an artist. And now that I've finally done that, I feel like it's all about to end. And so I've just, like, had this sort of, like, manic productivity state now where I'm really on the verge of burning myself out because I'm just, like, I gotta, like, really, like, draw some shit every day. And I, yeah. I don't know how sustainable it is, but it feels good, though. It feels good. Here's a here's a here's a little thing that I, I have not really told anybody yet, but uh, my partner Aileen and I uh, bought a Rusticraph. Oh, um, hell yeah! About a month ago. Well, congrats. So I have been unable to print for like the last two years, and now I am in the process of like excavating like legit like two years worth of abandoned projects and kind of trying to finish them one by one. But yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you. Uh, it feels really good. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like printing a lot of old shit. That's like mostly where my head's been at creatively for the last month. Have you have you used uh, Rizzo printers before? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, this has been my dream for for about ten years now. Um, That's awesome. Hell yeah. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. I started a uh, Risograph distro in college. Actually, I figured out how no to scam kidding. scam the school into buying a Risograph. <laughs> what was the awesome. uh, distro called? It was called the uh, Oberlin Comics Collective. And okay. uh, I started it with Matt Davis of Perfectly Acceptable and some other uh, really amazing cartoonists. There was like a really incredible crop of cartoonists uh, I was coming up with. So, so that was here in Chicago then? No, Oberlin is in uh, rural Ohio. This, this was, was in Ohio. This okay, was this a, is this what, okay, middle that's Ohio. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know Matt was from Ohio. He's not. He's not. He is. Uh, we're both both New England kids, but oh, but we okay. met there. We met there. We were just in the liberal arts school milieu. Where are you from in New England? Me? I am from uh, like the North Shore of Boston. I'm in like a little delightful coastal city uh, called Newburyport. Nice. Oh, nice. Okay. So uh, lobster rolls, are they overrated uh, or underrated? They are underrated <laughs> uh, by a lot, I would say. They're maybe a little overly okay. romanticized. Kind of developed a shellfish allergy late in life. But when I was a kid, oh, I fucked oh, with them fuck, very heavy. They're really good. And like, yeah. there's so many fucking sauces and flavors, you know, you can get in there. I feel like, you know, people think of it as just lobster and coleslaw, but it's a versatile sandwich. Lobster, you know, you got the sweet, you got the savory, you got the crunch, you got the soft. Yeah, and it's got that snap to it, too. You know, kind of like a grape. Well, I don't know if that's... <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah know. no, it is kind of like a grape. Yeah, it's like shellfish, but less... Yeah. I mean, it is shellfish, but it's like less gross than clams, consistency-wise, yeah. but it's still kind of yeah. nasty feeling. <laughs> I haven't had one, like, fresh from that area, and it's, like, on my bucket list. Oh, uh, yeah. So. I mean, you got to. I don't fuck with Midwest seafood, really. Is that, <laughs> is that it, mean, yeah, is there even such a like, thing? Well, here's my thing, and it could be like getting like you know scammed. But the only way I'm ordering seafood is if it says market price. I know that sounds bougie, but at least I know it's like flown in and like fresh within the day or two. So like if you look at the menu and it doesn't have like a price and it just says market price, that means that it's you know whatever they paid for it for them to make a profit. So I don't really fuck with seafood unless it's like that. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. But I've also like never been in a position where I've. I'm not terrified to order something without knowing the price. <laughs> you you need to ask. You, you need to ask the server. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> They'll tell yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's you're tr- like, what is the swordfish steak? And they're like $48. You're like, <laughs> popcorn shrimp. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I'll have 12. Yeah, it's sick. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cheap, though. If you get, just get them get in, like, you know, the fishing towns, which is, like, kind of where I grew up. 
Very yeah, cool. Like, and I'm guessing the, uh, the well-known Boston accent is something that you don't really have. I don't. I mean, um, you know, I didn't grow up in the city proper. I definitely grew up around like some accents. I feel like I had make maybe like a little bit more of one when I was younger. And at this point, I've kind of moved around a decent amount. So I feel like I've kind right. of absorbed like a lot of regional dialects at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You guys don't hear Boston in my voice. No. <laughs> no, I feel like no, people no. always think I'm from California, but it's just because I'm I smoke a lot of weed, so I have like the stoner affect. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, huh. same. People are always surprised that I'm not from California. <laughs> yeah, uh, Florida has like a weird non-accent because of uh, you know the same reasons you brought up is just like people from all over the country, but mostly from the East Coast that all just slowly trickle down into Florida. And then you have like all these mergings of, of different, you know, East Coast accents, plus yeah. all like the Southern elements. And then it just becomes this like non-accent thing. It's just, I, I can't, it's like non-regional. It's completely bizarre. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, most of my family has ended up in Florida at this point, but they've all moved around a lot. So they all kind of have like weird hodgepodge accents. Like a lot of them, just kind of sounds southern to me, but I don't know. Yeah, every, everybody in my family is a pretty distinctive cadence at this point, but I've totally experienced this sort of like, uh, yeah, kind of generic Florida accent. I think it's really cool. I just rewatched that. Um, have you ever seen uh, Verdon, Florida, that Errol Morris documentary? Uh, no, no, I haven't. I haven't, no. Oh, it's so fucking good. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the early. Earl Morris documentaries, but it's just kind of like a docu, like a short, like 40 minute documentary shot in the small town of Florida. And he's pretty much just like filming people talking and just kind of like letting the camera run for really long takes. Right. So it's like this naturalistic shit that's like kind of like pretty commonplace today, but this is like, we're talking about like the seventies or whatever. So it's like seventies Florida dialects and it's just people talking about nothing. And it's like one of the most soothing documentaries I've ever seen. I just love hearing their voices and all. It's like, that's the thing I'll put on as I'm going to sleep a lot. (laughs) It's some some, uh, uh, Florida ASMR. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Oh, it really, that is exactly what it is. Does the uh, Florida accent, is there like a swamp accent in parts of Florida? Uh, yeah, like, the, like, like in the movie, of the, like in the movie, The Water Boy. Yeah, so like True. the more north you go of Florida, the more you get of that. And then okay. like uh, there's some elements of that in in uh, South and Central Florida, not so much in South mm-hmm. Florida, but uh, yeah, some in Central for sure. Like in and around uh, Alachua County, which is where Gainesville is, uh, you, you get a lot <laughs> okay. of that. Yeah, I forgot you were from Florida. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, born and raised. Damn, wait, where again? Originally, I'm from Central Florida, like uh, Polk County, right in between Tampa and Orlando. Mm. Okay, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we've had this conversation before. That's sick. Yeah, a lot of my my family lives in and around Venice now at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Now, you had mentioned before we started recording uh, that you were in the process of printing some new books. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. What have you uh, yeah, have you it. been printing up? What with this new Rizo printer that you have access to now? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I guess I'll start with the thing that I'm actually working on right now, which is a collection of strips called "Comics Will Break Your Balls." Hell yeah. And that's actually uh, probably chronologically the most recent thing I've drawn, but it's also like the simplest, lowest effort book in my 
queue right now. So I'm kind of like making this book to psych myself up to do some kind of more ambitious production shit on all these books that I wrote last year. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So this new stuff is just all like gag strips, basically three panel gag strips. I got asked to submit a strip for Clay Hickson's periodical, The Smudge, a couple months ago. And I was like really freaking out because I had never drawn a three panel strip before. And I thought it'd be really easy, but I was like really having trouble with it and kind of banging my head against the wall. So I just decided to like set a timer and just like draw as many three panel strips as I could as fast as I can. And that's essentially what this book is. I I wrote it in like kind of a couple panicked weeks just trying to come up with like one good joke and uh, I ended up with like 46 okay jokes. Nice. Yeah, that's the book. <laughs> that's a good batting and, uh, average, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them did not make the cut, but oh, yeah, I, I felt like my batting average was higher than it had been in a while, so I figured I'd just make a zine of it. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, I was reading your stuff. Is it available in print? Yeah. Oh, oh, all the shit I just sent? Yeah, yeah. You know what? Let me, I'll send, I'll send you boys some, some copies because I think there were- Yeah, but I can send you some money. Um, Or, I mean, if you got some new stuff, I'm happy to support. I could easily probably go to your Instagram and find your store, but I, I don't do stuff like that (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. um yeah no i actually just set up an online store like a week ago i'm like just trying to get my shit together across the board this month so i i did not have uh any kind of way you could buy my zines up until last week but but i do now i I, I got a big cartel i have a shit ton of zines so right now all it is is like my last like 10 the ones that are in print but yeah most of my old stuff i think almost everything i sent you is, is available up there and uh yeah hopefully i'm gonna be dropping a bunch of new stuff i'm, I'm hoping to settle into like dropping like a zine per month until i run out of steam <laughs> nice yeah. yeah are you doing like that via patreon or something like that so I, do, I, I did also start a Patreon recently, and I post a ton of content on there. I don't really have any, like, one of those things where, like, you get a zine every month or whatever you guys are doing, just because, mm-hmm. like, that felt like too stressful of a commitment to make but i might try to create a tier like that in the future i don't know but yeah 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 you can you can read a lot of exclusive uh works in progress and and strips that i don't post on instagram on there but yeah basically if you want zines my big cartel is the only way to get them <laughs> hell yeah. yeah yeah the reason why it's uh i think the like the the zine uh isn't overwhelming for us because like we know it's 12 pages and our buddy carlos like always takes photos and like so some pages are just full photos yeah. uh you know so it's really easy <laughs> to make a 12 page zine when you have three people you know filling out the pages <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but totally. doing it on your own would be so hard it would be yeah. so hard and admittedly i'm oh, doing yeah. i'm doing very little on that end <laughs> That's mostly Cam. <laughs> yeah. I was impressed how fast you got that together, but yeah, okay. The truth comes out. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you've got four, I mean, it's 12 pages with the cover and everything, but I mean, you know, when four of those pages are, you know, a third of the book and then, you know, one page is an interview and, you know, the rest of it's just shit you have laying around the house, but, you know, it, it fulfills that Patreon. Like, you can't sell it, but you can offer it as an incentive right. type thing. Right. So, yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, that's like real zine shit, though. That, that, oh, that yeah, 100%. For sure, yeah. That, that's got it. That, that serves a valuable function. I mean, that's kind of like how I approached zines in my earlier years, but lately they've just kind of gotten more and more ambitious. And now, or or even if they're not like very complicated production wise, they're just longer and Mm -hmm. longer. And now I just like, don't have very many like cheapo freebie zines that I can like give away and 
you know, send out in the mail every month or whatever. Right. Yeah, for sure. So you did mention that you just bought, uh, is it, okay, so. Yay. What's the pronunciation of Riso? Is it Riso? Riso? What is it? I mean, I've heard it both. It is, um, yeah, it's it's Risograph, I think. Risograph, okay. I still call it Riso sometimes, and I get dragged pretty hard when I do by by okay. Matt or by my partner Eileen, who co-owns this Risograph. Uh, yeah. I think it's Risograph. I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of scared okay. to say it out loud now. Yeah. Don't ask me any more questions. Well, I say Risograph, yeah. but okay, I, okay. You know, I didn't know. No, I think you're uh, correct. Sure. I think you're correct. I'll I'll look this one up later. Yeah, yeah. But yes, yeah, so you bought a uh, Risograph yeah. printer, and uh, so what are your plans with that? Are you just going to mainly do your own book? I mean, are you wanting to print for other people? Like, can people hit you up to print books? Like, what are you wanting to do with that? Not yet, but perhaps sometime in the future. I do really like the idea of doing like print for hire stuff or even like, you know, printing my friends works and stuff like that. But I mean, I like, uh, I want to get good at it first because I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've like just started printing my first thing on it and there's already been so many technical difficulties that I'm like, I'm trying to go really ease my way into it. But yeah, uh, maybe, maybe somewhere down the line. I know that, uh, yeah, my, my partner Eileen is like kind of hoping to, to print some, some stuff on there soon but for for the immediate future i think i'm just going to try to focus on my own projects uh at least until i've like really like built up a skill set because there's just like a lot of shit with risographs to get good at you know like they're pretty straightforward to understand and like learn kind of a rudimentary skill set but then like i don't know I want to be good at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to start taking people's money until. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. I don't even want to do people <laughs> favors money. until I know I can do it without just like completely fucking it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, that's kind of the dream. I mean, there's kind of endless possibilities and I've always loved printing, even though I'm not terribly good at it. So uh, we'll see what the future holds, you know? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, in college, that's kind of like mostly what I did instead of going to class is like print anthologies of student work and like help other people make scenes. And it was like, it was very fun. I've always wanted to get back to that. And so I'm, I'm hoping that that might be in my future now. Very cool. And yeah. were you were you making your own work too around this time as well when you were doing, or sorry, when you were printing at school? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all this stuff kind of happened in tandem with me getting into comics. Uh, Me and Matt and a few other friends who uh, I started this collective with, we were all in the same kind of like generic creative writing graphic novel class. Okay. And so we all kind of got into drawing comics together then. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, just because we showed like a lot of enthusiasm, we kind of got our professor to like help us like establish a student club and then once we did that we realized we could just really like milk it for all the credits and money we wanted so like senior year i was just printing tons of shit and like just not going to class it was really awesome (laughs) but uh yeah to answer your question uh yeah yeah I, i got into printing at the same time that i got into drawing comics and you know i i started making zines pretty soon after that and uh yeah i mean after i graduated matt kind of went more into printing and he got his own reso and i just kind of reverted back to like you know making 
zines on a Xerox machine. And I've kind of just been doing that for the last uh, 10 years. So, um, yeah, in the last like two years or so, I uh, was actually able to print a couple books on the Resograph at Spudnik. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. But the machine is kind of limited and it's also like expensive to use and it's on the other side of the city and I don't have a car. So there were like a lot of material limitations on like how much I could actually print. And as a result, you know, my zine drops were like pretty rare and there were usually like a lot of production errors that I just had to kind of give up on, you know? This is like the first time I've had since since being a student that like I've had consistent access to Arisograph and like, I don't know, I feel like the secret to getting good is, is really all about trial and error. So like, I'm excited to have the space to make errors again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instead of just like giving up and being like, fuck it, the zine is done now, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what was it the class that got you interested in, in doing comics or was it just kind of coincidental? Yeah, I mean, I have a whole, I have a whole origin story. Yeah, go off. Yeah, do it. Should I? Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, so it, it was that class is the short version first of appearance. the story. Yeah, yeah, first appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking. Uh, so yeah, I basically had a kind of pseudo spiritual run in with Linda Berry while I was at school because she was friends with the professor who was teaching that comics class. And I was just at a particularly directionless moment in my life and kind of thinking about dropping out. And I just got like one good pep talk from Linda Berry. And then I was basically just like swore in that moment that I was going to devote my life to comics. And uh, I had never drawn a comic before, like, you know, a few months before that, but I just never looked back. And I've been drawing comics ever since. Like I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was at school, like studying creative writing, and I was writing some really shitty literary short fiction, and uh, really kind of hating it, and starting to like kind of doubt myself as a writer. And yeah, I don't know. I was sort of in like an an existential void, and so I was doing a lot of uh psychedelics and i uh Hell yeah. I yeah you can you can leave this in i um uh <laughs> fucking um anyway so i basically kind of like i i basically turned did my final on on hallucin uh, acid and uh basically uh I kind of like, you know, I had just drawn some comics that were like basically completely illegible and I kind of like turned it in <laughs> as sort of like a spiteful act where I was kind of like, I was just kind of in, in, in all of my classes sort of daring my teachers to flunk me because I was like really kind of miserable. And so I thought it would be like a fun epic prank to do drugs. Uh, while doing my final and basically uh, I got an A minus on that and then it's like the the pitcher that threw the perfect Dude, game yeah, while he was tripping. That's exactly what it was like because honestly yeah Doc Ellis Doc, Doc Ellis. Holiday or I don't yeah yeah Doc Ellis yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that rocks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that rocks. No, the, the comics were pretty good, I think, given the circumstances, but, you know, they were bad. And uh, basically, uh, I came back at the end of summer to pick it up from the professor, and Linda Berry was just, like, in his office, and he just sort of casually handed them to her. And I didn't recognize Linda Berry, even though at this point I was, like, a really big Linda Berry fan. And uh, mm -hmm. she just, like, disappeared with my shit, and then... 
I like half an hour later, it kind of registered to me. Oh, like Linda Barry just like walked away with my comics, and I don't know if I'm ever gonna see her again. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> and, like the next day, I was in a class, and like I kind of like ran into her, and she just gave me like a really sweet pep talk, and she gave me back my comics, and she was just like, "Yeah, your comics are really good. You should keep making them." And that's really all she said. But that was like the only positive reinforcement I'd gotten in a while. <laughs> So I was really just like, okay, like I'm going to be a cartoonist now. That's like my new identity. And I am going to devote my life to making comics. And I mean, I had never published a comic. I had just drawn these comics on acid once, basically. (laughs) But I was like so (laughs) confident. Like, yeah, this is, that was it. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of a stupid story now that I'm saying it out loud, but but that's no, that's the no, answer. This is, this is way more this interesting. Is yeah. yeah, this yeah. is way more interesting as an origin story than most people. Uh, I went to Seven Eleven and I saw Deadpool on the racks, and I just knew that. I <laughs> yeah, had yeah that's just as legit. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I have those moments in my in my youth too. Like I was a comic head since I was very yeah. young. But yeah, what were you reading? Like, what was the first comic you were reading? Were you doing the the newspapers, or were you like a cape oh, comic? Oh man. Um, like- well, yeah. I mean, I started with the newspapers for sure. I would say my first love was like Calvin and Hobbes, and then I got very into Bloom County and the Boondocks as a kid. Oh, okay. County. I was very into like dated oh, pop okay. culture references as a kid. I'd kind of grown up on <laughs> The Simpsons. Right. Yeah, I was really into those newspaper comics. Then as I got older, I got really obsessed with The Tick. Uh, I still I oh, still have like yeah. the whole run of The Tick and like all the spinoffs. Oh, that's uh, they're, awesome. They're in my box in my parents' house. But like, yeah, I was like an obsessive Tick fan when I was in middle school. Who was publishing that? Was it Dark Horse? No. Uh, no. no, it's New England Comics, baby. Yep. Um, yeah, it was a local, it was a local small press and the tick was their mascot and the comic kind of originated as a spinoff, but he was never meant to be the enduring franchise that he is today. He was just like a dumb mascot for a local comic shop. There's a uh, card collector, not card collector, card shop owner here. And um, I was talking to him and he was telling me he's like a huge Tick fan. And he was telling me that the Tick's first appearance was in like some kind of local newsletter. Yep, that's right. Okay. Yeah. And he paid like thousands of dollars for a cgc slabbed copy of that newsletter <laughs> are you kidding dude i think i no. i think i had i don't know if i have i have copies of that newsletter for sure because oh, it was you shit. might want to yeah start flipping them you might be able to buy another yeah. printer get that Fuck. shit graded <laughs> yeah. oh no i really dude oh no see i collected the most whack comics of all time so it never once crossed my mind that any of them would become valuable uh, that's anyway. comics in general <laughs> I can't believe that the tick has a uh, any kind of buyer's market in 2021, but I'll I'll take yeah. it. I don't think it's probably one of those things that sits on eBay for like three months with yeah. the crazy buy it now, but you just wake up to somebody buying it one day because right. somebody was looking for it. Like right. I feel like it's one of those. So apparently, the first appearance was from July '86, and it's the New England Comics Newsletter number 14. Huh. Okay. Ah, uh, I I I probably don't have that one but i definitely have some later new england comics bulletins because they kept doing it after the tick blew up and it was just okay. like a it's like a newsletter in the comic shop it was extremely unimpressive looking but yeah no i can see how that's like a historical artifact now god damn okay well Very i'm gonna, cool. I'm gonna <laughs> look cool. i have i have some pretty pretty 
deep cut, you know, paraphernalia. I have a, a t-shirt. I have uh, the board game. I have okay. uh, the VHS tapes. Uh, I got a lot of got a lot of swag. Nice. I had the toys, like the yep. first, like those toys that came out. Yeah, I had the blue yeah, tick I and those. I had Arthur. Yep, I yep, got those too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's good shit. I, I haven't checked on the value of those, but I definitely have. They're them. worth nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is why I have them because they're so cheap. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. Do you have them in the on card? No, I opened all of them up. No, nah, no. Yeah. Nice. Are they like those uh, Toy Biz X-Men figures? You just find them everywhere. I mean, like, you know, they're like $5. Pretty much. I mean, yeah, usually yeah. you'll find them carded for like 10 or 15 at the most. Yeah. But not yeah. bad. Yeah, they're pretty affordable. And they're, and they're yeah. fun. I mean, they're, you know, they're not like super crazy. You're not, you're not dealing with anything like, you know, late 90s McFarlane or anything like that. But it, they're, mm-hmm. they're fun. They're, you know. Nice. Uh, and yeah. I, I mean, I was a huge fan of the Tick too growing up. Yeah, the Tick Rocks. Yeah, Tick Rocks. I was a huge Ninja Turtle fan, and both of those started as very, very small press books, which I love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my first exposure to the Tick was the Fox Saturday morning show, oh, to be yeah. honest. I wasn't I wasn't ahead like that with Tick. It's a good show. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, uh, I, I learned to, to read again. by reading the novelizations of the cartoon. Oh, that wow. Was like, <laughs> that is my earliest memory of a book is getting those out of the library and Damn. I didn't have cable so I couldn't watch the show which is why I started seeking out the comics and then I just became obsessed with the comics because they were nice. edgier yeah. yeah yeah do you have the uh, DVDs of the old show I have VHS tapes and oh, nice. I, I watched it all okay. on I think I do have one of the DVD box sets all this stuff's in storage at my folks house but gotcha okay but yeah yeah no I mean I've watched I've watched the whole run a couple times it's it's good stuff very cool. Yeah, th- mm-hmm. I, I have. Uh, I I'm pretty sure I have the box set of the the whole animated run, and I would like the live action version too, like the Fox. What was that? Like 2001 or something? Yeah. Like that. Yes. That one yeah, was oh, right. all about was under- that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good show. Yeah. Damn. So you, guys, you watched the newest one? I did, and I was surprised that it's actually not bad. That was all right. I kind of fell off. I never watched the second season, but uh, second season gets better. It gets one. better. It gets better. Wasn't it an Amazon show, maybe? Yes. Like the reboot? Yeah, it okay. Is. Actually, funny enough. I remember enough, hearing about it. Cam, because I know you've been watching Search Party. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that. so if you, I, yeah, I'm so, at the last episode of season two, so don't say anything. No, no, no. This is, not, this is not spoilery. So in okay, season okay. one, the Chantal's ex-boyfriend that shows up at the funeral or whatever, and they like invite him over to have dinner, and it's like very, very tense and awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, got the beard. Yeah, that's the yeah. same actor that plays Arthur in The Tick. Uh, the, uh, yeah. the new Amazon, Amazon version. Yeah, okay. Griffin Newman. He's yep. the best. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Very, very good. I thought for a while that he was related to uh, the actor from, uh, I always forget his name. He's in A, a Serious Man. Hmm, Have you seen know. that? Um, or, the Serious Man? That. A Serious Man. It's a- No, it's, is he related to this? I don't remember the guy's name. <laughs> yeah. No, just, uh, <laughs> fuck. Give me a second. <laughs> this is going to bother me now. Yeah, Michael Stolbart. for me. You know, no, no. He was, uh, he's in a bunch of shit. Like, he was in uh, Fargo Show. He was in Boardwalk. I only, I didn't watch any of the Fargo Show, but I like Fargo the movie. The Fargo movie's really good, yeah. Anyway, yeah, sorry, sorry to get off topic. Anyway, but yeah, that's really cool that <laughs> your your love of comics is very much tied up with a hometown, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what terminology yeah. I use here, but yeah, yeah, like something that was very much uh, started in your, in your area locally and, and it's it became like this huge cultural phenomenon in the, in the nineties and still kind of is totally. Yeah. I mean, um, 
I felt uh, all this pride about it, too, because, uh, I mean, I was really, you know, young. I mean, when I first got into it, I was probably like eight or nine and then like middle school when I got into the comics. But, you know, I, I did get into it from the franchise. Like I said, I was reading novelizations of the show at the library. And then yeah. when I realized that it was like a local indie thing, that was sort of my first exposure to the concept of indie press, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it didn't even fully sink in then, but I do remember feeling like very proud to realize that it, you know, had originated in my neck of the woods and that like the newsletter, it had come from the newsletter that was at my local comic shop. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I connected to it a lot more like knowing that it had kind of humble New England beginnings. And uh, I feel like that that kind of uh, the, the kind of zine underdog attitude kind of stuck with me over the years. And ultimately, that's kind of what pushed me into making comics. Very cool. And, and those books had a certain sense of humor to them that mm -hmm. you didn't really see in other books at the time. And when whenever I read your stories, I always do get this like very consistent sense of humor throughout. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, there's definitely a, a sense. Yeah, the, there's like a comedic tone throughout the stuff that I was sent anyways, for sure. Yeah, I yeah. I that as well. I mean, I love malapropisms. But it's also very self-aware. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah, malapropisms are great. I love wall breaking, too. Yeah, yeah. A lot, of yeah. The, a lot of the tick tropes show up in my work still, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, with your with your comics, uh, I, I know that you kind of bounce around. It's predominantly auto-bio, or at least uh -huh. from what I can tell, it's auto-bio. Uh, now, I know that some of your more recent work has elements of autobio, but it's now going more towards fiction, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I would say, I mean, I definitely kind of entered the comics world as a self-identified autobio writer or whatever, but I feel like I kind of do have like two different creative processes for autobio and for kind of just doing straight up gag comics. And right. like, I've found that I often will like kind of burn myself out in one direction and like so shifting from auto bio to gags and then back mm -hmm. has been like just sort of like a gear shift kind of way to like snap myself out of that kind of stasis like i was i got really burnt out on auto bio i would say last year okay which is why I've been sharing a lot a lot more jokey stuff lately but i'm planning on now doing a pivot back to autobio because I'm starting to like hit the wall with the jokes a little bit. <laughs> okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah. I'd kind of like to maybe merge those two styles down the road. And I feel like that's kind of what I've been doing with some of my like trippier comics lately. But um, yeah, yeah, I definitely see that. It's it's a weird merging of the autobio and the fiction, which I think is the best route to take with that stuff, in my opinion, because I've seen more and more cartoonists doing that where it's not outright straight up autobio, but it is very much clearly informed by the writer or creator's life, like all the, the interactions they've had or experiences that they've had that kind of like make their identity, basically. Yeah. Know, uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so so the last kind of cycle of, of comics I've been doing, the Enlightened Transsexual Comics, uh, which will probably be my next book, with those comics that was sort of like a conscious pivot where I really like wanted to find a different way to explore the ideas that I was talking about in autobio. Yeah. Like, you know, like my first couple comics uh, about 
transitioning and stuff like that felt good but like after writing them for a while i kind of felt like i started to hit a wall where like everything i was writing was just sort of turning into like an illustrated essay where i just like have an idea and i'm trying to explain it as straightforwardly as possible and I don't know. I mean, that's not a bad way to make a comic, but I I was starting to feel a little bit limited and I was starting to feel like a little bit bored by like the kind of tools that I had to explain these ideas. So I kind of like wanted to set out to make something that was like deliberately confusing. (laughs) So like a lot of the ideas that I'm exploring in these comics are like comics that started out as like more direct like kind of formal like essays of me talking about like i don't know like words i don't don't know like different aspects of like being trans basically and i there were a lot of these stories i just kind of like scrapped because i wasn't satisfied with them and then i was like i want to take this from like a completely different angle and write about this in like a way that's like all jokes and like trippy imagery and just like kind of i don't know i i just wanted to like kind of find a new way to explore those ideas uh that was like not quite as like limited by the the confines of autobio, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and you have a lot more artistic freedom that way as well, assuming you're staying true to the source material in your autobio, you know, and not doing that like, you know, whole bending the lines thing. Yes, totally. So in a way, I feel like, you know, I think the best material is when there's realism in it. You know, like the best stories are partially autobio, in my opinion. Like we might not ever know, but like to me, the stories that resonate with me, they feel like they come from a very real place. Yeah, I agree 100 percent. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, well, thank you. But but yeah, um, that's that that's that's what I, I was hoping for. I mean, I, I what I wanted to too is to not just like change the way i'm writing it but also like i mean to have a character who just like looks and sounds like me so that i uh don't have to kind of walk this tightrope line of representing my experiences accurately of making sure that like i stand by every sentiment that is expressed by the character right because like in Mm -hmm. autobio you're the character but there's just sort of like different levels of accountability and responsibility that you have when you are telling your own story especially when that story involves other people right right so i've always kind of had a love-hate relationship with autobio i mean i think it's a cool genre but there are certain things that are very difficult about it and there are there are challenges with autobio that don't exist with other stuff so i just kind of wanted to have the freedom to like kind of like start with the emotional truth of like whatever angsty autobio comic i was planning on making and then just like Mm -hmm. yeah just sort of like jettison all the all the all the really personal stuff and just try to keep the kind of kernel of thought i don't know i <laughs> do you know yeah, no, that makes sense. Like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. I'm following. Yeah. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, yeah. Like, this last <laughs> thing was, like, I mean, this last comic I just did for, I have a comic up at, that went up on a Rye Comics, like, a week ago, and it's, uh-huh. like, this character is, like, basically, like, there's, like, a guy from the census coming, and he's, like, asking 
this character like all the quest all these questions about like how they identify and like labels uh and i was just kind of thinking about like you know like the way that kind of like labels work on the internet and in the queer world and like how confining it can kind of be to like kind of condense your identities into these words that we construct to understand these ideas and like uh i don't know i mean the original comic was just sort of like a very slow and hand ringy uh you know it was like one of those comics where I'm just like kind of walking around with a big thought bubble with like a paragraph of text in it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I was like, well, this is boring. I'm just going to like try to like come up with like the zaniest take I can think of on this idea without like totally losing sight of it. But yeah, that's how like a lot of these jokey stories originate. They're just like, I couldn't find a way to express this uh, in autobio in a way that felt interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's embellishing on what needs to be built upon, you know, so it's in a way at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we're, t- we're storytellers, right? As cartoonists, we're storytellers, whether it's nonfiction or fiction or autobio to make a good comic is to essentially tell a good story. So, yeah, um, and, I, and there's definitely different ways to get there. I totally agree. And like, I don't want to be shitting on autobio too hard because uh, I mean, that's that's really like the bulk of what I've done in my life. And I am planning to make some new autobio books this year for sure. So I am mm-hmm. like dipping my toe back into the water. But I do think that if, if you've kind of spent your whole life just like kind of doing like a one single approach to autobio, it can be really like liberating to try on some other styles. I I just think that some some ideas are not best expressed through autobio. And some right, are, yeah. but like, I mean, the what the things that I have that aren't autobio, almost always they started out as autobio and I had to consciously reject the autobio because it was not working for the idea that I had. So let me ask you a question because, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show here, but you know, I was reading your stuff before we had you on and um, I'm actually a fan of it. You do autobio, but to me what sets autobio apart outside of, you know, just good cartooning, good pacing, good storytelling is actually having something to say. A lot of people make autobio comics and they're not interesting because that person's just not interesting or they don't have anything interesting to say. Maybe they are interesting and they're just not conveying it through their books. What do you think makes a good autobio comic? And I'm asking you as someone who I think executes that genre very well. Oh, well, thank you, Kim. That's, uh, that's very sweet. And, uh, that's a good question. I'm, I'm trying to think, like, how, how best to respond. Bury I mean, as many people as possible. Yeah, go off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm about to just cr- crush everybody. No, no, no. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's great. Everybody. No, I didn't say that. No, no shots fired. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I would say that, like, I, I've definitely, I don't want to write off autobio as boring, because I don't think that autobio is boring, but I have made some boring autobio comics for sure. I mean, transitioning was awesome because it gave me something to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not why I did it, but it did, uh, I, I had sort of reached a point before I transitioned where I was drawing a lot of autobio comics, but not releasing a lot of them because I was, like, trying to really, like, have a clear idea in mind of like 
what I was saying or like what the point of the comic was, which I don't think you mm-hmm. always need to have one. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, the girl hell books, my more recent scenes are like a little looser, a little less edited because I just kind of felt like documenting my transition, like kind of was like kind of had some merits on its own in terms of like, you know, it's a snapshot of my life that I'll probably forget and never experience again. So like I, I, I sometimes you're just in a moment in your life where you just feel the compulsion to document and i think that's all you need but i don't think that you like i don't know i mean you don't need to be trans to <laughs> make an autobiographic or uh you don't have to have like a something to stay or like an, a perspective that's totally informed by identity or, or trauma or whatever but i, I think uh, it's good to have if not something to say then like i don't know then it's good to like um think about why you're doing it because i feel like when i do write autobio it's like very like much like a psychological compulsion that i don't really understand you know mm-hmm. like sometimes i just like i'll carry a memory or a thought around for a couple weeks and there'll just be like kind of a monologue congealing in my head and then like eventually i just have to scribble it down and often i'll just like stay up all night drawing a comic or something and what i used to just publish everything that i wrote like almost immediately and as i've gotten older i have found that it is helpful to sit with memories and to like really think to yourself about like what is it about this memory that made me want to write it down you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because i feel like all your experiences are meaningful and every life has the potential to make a really good autobio comic but i feel like all a lot of this stuff is just like so direct from the subconscious that like uh we often don't really think about like what we're saying or why we're saying it i don't i don't I want think to, that's my yeah go ahead i'm so sorry uh, i was just gonna say i keep saying like we like i'm talking about the genre or like autobio cartoonists as a collective i'm talking about myself i feel like i got really sick of autobio comics and i'm like rediscovering my love for it and that's like just required like a lot more thoughtfulness about what i'm saying i edit a lot more than i used to and like Mm -hmm. i really like try to like i try to read from the perspective of somebody who's not me that doesn't have my own personal level of investment in my personal life you know what i mean yeah right and i'm like why would somebody else care about this and i I don't know. <laughs> like, it doesn't need to have, like, a message or, or like, a, a clearly articulatable purpose. But, like, I think if you really, like, sit with your work and, like, mull over, like, what, what makes this good, then you can, like, kind of refine it and... <sighs> I don't know, man. It's so fucking ineffable. I, I don't have a good answer for this question. And, and I interrupt. <laughs> no, you're fine. I think, I think what it is, is I would like to clarify my stance. I don't yeah. think autobio is a bad genre. I feel like on this show, especially, I do, I don't want to say shit on autobio, but like, I talk more about the bad stuff than the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think what it is, is a lot of autobio to me, it's not that it has to have a purpose or you have to say something. So I kind of want to backtrack on that statement, but I think there's a way to do it and a lot of people do it in a way that comes off directionless they're just like oh my you know they don't really it's not necessarily have anything to say it's just like you said what are you trying to convey here well i mean yeah 
I think that's fair. And again, I, I don't think everybody needs to have like distilled mission statement or whatever. I don't think that's yeah, yeah, like yeah. the key to making a better book. But I also think that like, I mean, when I was coming up, when I was first starting to make comics, you know, in the early, te- early teens, 2010, 2011, I mean, I was really uh-huh. into John Porcellino. I was really into James Kachalka. And like, those two both had a huge impact on the way that I write. And like, I think that uh, they really, those books are so powerful that like especially Porcelino like I think it had a big impact on that whole generation of cartoonists where like I think a lot of us were like oh damn like I really don't need to have a like a exciting life I can just write about what I'm doing and <laughs> draw this tree or whatever and it'll be amazing art and like yeah. uh, I still believe that that's true I don't want to shit on that belief but I also think that the thing about people like Porcelino and, and Kachalka is like, they kind of like make it look effortless and, um, and maybe it is to them. But I think that if you just like make autobio comics every month for years, which is what I did when I was younger, uh-huh. at a certain point, I did sort of start to lose sight of why I was doing it. And yeah, I, I guess that's it. I mean, I was just like kind of compulsively documenting for the sake of documenting. And some of those comics were good, but some of them weren't. And I couldn't really read them with a critical eye. I was just like, uh, you know, I was just like going and going and going. And eventually the, the joy kind of started to ebb away. So a, a, as I got older, I started to be like a little bit more thoughtful about what I wrote about and why I wanted to talk about it too. Hell yeah. Nice. All right, so we have a couple of questions from our listeners. Uh, if you have any questions that you want to ask either us or our guests, you can send us an email at gutterboyspodcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a DM or answer one of our IG stories. We're on Instagram and Twitter, at gutterboyspod. All right, so our first question comes from Instagram user Starless Gobo. Uh, they ask, who would win in a fight? Carmela Soprano? Or Skylar White? Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. Who is Skylar White? I'm so sorry. I know Carmel. Oh, boy. Well. What fuck. TV show is uh Yeah, this, this is from Breaking from? Brad. Or sorry, Breaking Bad. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I mean, yeah. I, 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 the answer is Carmela. I mean, am I, am, I, am I really, like, playing this out celebrity deathmatch style? Oh, okay. I forget their name. I don't, I'm not a big Breaking Bad, Bad fan. I, no, it I, sucks. I don't know. Yeah, it's not a very good show. Whatever. No. I'm going to go Carmella just because I haven't seen Breaking Bad. They both are somewhat similar because they're both white and blonde. Uh, well, I was going to say Carmella doesn't really seem like uh, she can really fight or anything like that. So I could be very wrong in my assumption that Carmella would win that fight. But I would like to think that Carmella is winning that fight. I think, yeah, I think they both kind of conceal this sort of, like, domesticated rage that is really terrifying (laughs) when it bubbles to the surface. (laughs) But, yeah, Carmella especially. Skylar's fine, but, I mean, you know, I mean, Skylar's, like, just not a very interesting character because the show is not very good. So, uh, Carmella has so much more emotional depth, and I have to believe that that'd give her the edge in, like, a deathmatch scenario. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Are you a wrestling fan? Oh, big time, yeah. I mean, no, okay. I shouldn't say that because I don't want to 
if we get into a wrestling combo, you guys are going to own oh, me because yeah. I, I'm no, like a we're very not, casual. We're not gatekeepers here. Okay, thank you. That that's that's amazing. I did. I've yeah. gotten way back into my Joshi shit. Joshi's really my favorite, and ever since I got your shirt, JB, I've been uh, I've been I've been cranking through a bunch of those those shits on YouTube. I just rewatched Big oh, Egg. Hell yeah! A couple wrestling queendoms. Yeah, that's my shit. Very nice. very sick. Hell yeah. Yeah, those entrances are insane. Oh, they're so good. The ring gear are so good. <sighs> Songs. Yeah. Top tier shit. Mm-hmm. All right, Cam, you got the next question? Next question came from uh, Frank, Instagram user, Sad Boy Angry Man. How do you determine when a panel is finished and to move on to the next one? Oh, that's, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's just gotta be done. I mean, a lot of times it ends when I realize I've added too much shit to it and then um, I panic and I just start the next page. You know what I mean? Yeah. I used to not do any kind of coloring or inking of any kind in my panels uh, up until like maybe the last like couple of years. So now I kind of know it's done when it feels like kind of overstuffed or there's just like a lot of ink on the page. But I used to just not trouble myself with those questions. I just like draw prior to this new me, I was just drawing my shit as fast as I could. And so I really was like not giving myself the time to like look back and question whether or not something was finished because, you know, that's a bottomless hole if you let yourself fall into it. Right, yeah, it it's definitely a, a never-ending thing if you if you don't have some sort of like self-control over it. Yeah, I just yeah, I always I, psych myself out. I just feel like there's like after a while, and you guys might feel different, but after a while, I feel like there's just this intuition that comes along where you're just like, it's done. Yeah, you yeah. just know it's done. It, I mean, deadlines help too because at yeah, that point yeah, you yeah. just kind That's of forced yeah. to say it is done, and then you move on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. Next question comes from front of the show. MS Harkness. Uh, She asks, I think at one point Sam said she worked for The Onion or some other parody news site. Please talk about it. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, I did. I I wrote a couple of jokes for The Onion a couple years ago, or it was like a year ago. It was in the pre-COVID times. There have been like a couple of moments in my life. I've been pretty hardcore committed to the zine lifestyle since I was a youngin, but like every now and then I'm like, oh fuck, like I'm never going to make any money. I should try to find out a different way to get paid to write. And uh, I auditioned to be an Onion writer about a year ago. And to be clear, like writing for The Onion was like my dream job when I was younger. I kind of stopped thinking about it as I got older and it kind of like faded into the, you know, internet humor culture but like yeah the onion like did a they did like kind of a diversity seminar thing where like people of marginalized identities could uh like kind of like sit in on a weekend of- <laughs> this is gonna go south real fast <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, yeah, I'm trying to try to be diplomatic here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean they basically uh you know, they bring you in for a weekend and you uh you get to workshop some jokes and then they like, you know, kind of give you their lessons about jokes and about like how the onion writers room works and like the house style and they kind of like give you the kind of basic spiel and then they give you an opportunity to to audition to write for them so i attended the seminar and the seminar 
was kind of whack, but it was fine. It was like extremely like what you imagine the Onion writers room to look like. That's what it looked like. <laughs> and like they just geared things up with like uh, just a, a PowerPoint presentation called What is Satire? And <laughs> they like, uh, uh, I don't know, they spelled Jonathan Swift's name wrong or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, there's it, just <laughs> sort amazing. of like a. <laughs> Yeah, it was like hardcore college vibes, and I was kind of like, yeah, I shouldn't talk too much shit. They're very nice people. I appreciate them taking a chance on me. And after the seminar was over, I got to uh, audition to be a writer, and it was like, uh, it was a really grueling process. Uh, basically, every day, you know, like the American Voices bit where they have like some like talking heads, like doing a little quote on like the yeah. news of the day. So, like, basically, I was writing them every day, and then they would decide if they wanted to run the joke or not. And if mm-hmm. they liked the joke, they would pay me. <laughs> right. And, uh, I, so, uh, and I was also, like, submitting things for, like, the little, like, infographics thing. Basically, everything except the articles. And I was, like, basically had, like, a 10-hour turnaround where, like, every morning they would just tell me what they were going to, like, what the subjects of the day were going to be. And then I had, like, 10 hours to, like, write as many jokes as I could. And I'd be at work and then I'd, like, get home and, like, scribble them all down. Uh, and I did that every day for, like, a couple months. I would say I wrote a few hundred jokes, and uh, two of them made it to print. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, they, g- they gave me like 20 bucks each. <laughs> uh, no, wait. I think it was, it was $40. But just, um, wait, uh, Real quick, I just want to say that those two jokes in terms of pay yeah. is more than what most letterers make per page. <laughs> that does not surprise me <laughs> at all. Just want to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. God bless our letters. <laughs> We're crusading, aren't we? Yeah, re- re- respect, <laughs> respect our our troops. They do good work. Do they? No, Some sorry. of them. I don't know. <laughs> Just trying to be diplomatic. Uh, oh, this is not the show for that. Though. All right, yeah. I want to. So, well, if any in. onion writers yeah, no, are listening, no, no, no. You, yeah, yeah. I still want them to hire you. Me. Take care of yourself. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Look out for yourself. All right. Yeah, uh, we, we we don't care. Anymore. Oh, I yeah. love it. I love it. That's yeah. why this podcast is number one. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, basically, uh, I failed the audition, and uh, at the end of the month, they gave me an evaluation, and when the evaluation was, uh, yeah, sorry, no. <laughs> Yeah, that was kind of yeah. it. Honestly, uh, I do think it made me a lot better at jokes because what with the old ADHD, uh, I've always kind of struggled to uh, finish projects or like establish any kind of consistency in my creative practice. And there was just straight up a couple months there where I was writing like ten jokes every day, and like I don't think I've ever been on top of my my game in in that way before in my life. And so I think it was a very valuable experience. But also, when I think about how much work I put in to make 40 bucks yeah. to sell, like, two <laughs> jokes about Joe Biden, and it's just like... I mean, the job that I was auditioning for was basically just doing that forever. They weren't offering me a spot in the writer's room. Like, they, Onion totally gets by with these pretty exploitative uh, freelance contracts, and that's, like, yep. how they fill out their pages. And, like, you know, Media mm. World's pretty pretty mercenary out there. So, you know, God bless, God bless our boys at The Onion. I still think they're very <laughs> funny. But a part of me is kind of relieved I didn't get that job because I, I – 
there's no way that would not have completely burnt me out and made me quit comics uh, after a while. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you uh, avoided a landmine there. Yeah. yeah I mean, if sure. the onion is listening to this, like, uh, please hire me. That was They're all. Not, pa- that was all me. parody. Yeah. yeah parody. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You guys know that very well. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram user. Well, it's Corey Roberts. It's all Corey. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, your name's all. It's hard to read on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, we're not spelling that out. Yeah, but um, Corey asked, uh, "Fellow homesick masshole, do you have any moxie left you could send me?" I don't even know what that is, dude. No, no, and honestly, no. I don't. I don't. I can't even think about this, Moxie. <laughs> Dude, no, I just had the most depressing time with Moxie last month. Moxie is a another highly specific regional reference. It is a disgusting soda from Maine. Oh, it's made okay. with uh, some kind of root. Is it Jensen root? It's really dis- – it has a horrible bitter aftertaste. Uh, it's kind of like Merlot almost. What? But it's so like, it's like really, an, an alcoholic almost. soda? No, no, it's not alcoholic. I'm just using that as a reference point. Is, it's oh, just okay, kind okay. of like an energy drink? It's a no. It's just a cola. It's got caffeine. It's just a cola. Okay. It's a cola with an extremely bracing bitter aftertaste. Interesting. And it okay. tastes like shit. But like I've always been very attracted to bad flavors. And like I was really obsessed with it as a kid. And again, this is like a hyper regional thing. You know, it used to be more of a widespread phenomenon. But it now at this point, it's all there's only one factory left, and it's in Maine uh, near near my hometown. And um, I uh, I was so homesick that I. Uh, bought a, a big case of it on ebay <laughs> and i was so amped up to drink this soda because i'd just been thinking about the soda for years at that point and it, it turns out uh coca-cola bought the company and they they fucked up the recipe it's oh, not it doesn't mm. taste bad anymore it tastes oh, normal wow. which is not what i was looking for <laughs> right, yeah. so i can't so recommend like it a cola yeah, now it just tastes like a generic cola. But before Ew. it tasted like a generic cola with like some disgusting like herbal roots <laughs> in it that had no place in a Coca-Cola. It was like a real throwback to like an era of American history where all the sodas tasted like shit. And now it just tastes like Coke, man. It's so sad. Yeah. There's uh, they, you know, they've created some kind of facsimile of the gross tastes with chemicals, but whatever, whatever those nasty ingredients were that were in the soda, I'd, I'd have to believe they aren't there. Unless I'm just like, uh, this is just the, the cruel passage of time and I'm just measuring this up against an impossible memory. But like, I got deep into the soda subreddits and everybody was saying the same thing. Like, they, mm. Coca-Cola fucking drove this one into the ground. So, uh, huh. I'm still very sore wow. about that. And I, I cannot recommend it to any, any other homesick massholes who may be tuning in right now. Well, and if there's anything that Coca-Cola should know, it's not to change the formula because that's why it's called Coca-Cola Classic now because they tried to do the whole new Coke. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When have they ever innovated so, anything, you know? Yeah, tried to fix what wasn't yeah, broken, the cocaine right? Coke back, Zero. You know? Coke Zero is awesome. Yeah. Um, I will. That's a good invention. The new wave of diet sodas, I mean, I know it's probably something else that's going to kill me that's in there, but <laughs> they're pretty I sick. Can't, I can't get into it. I do it. like Coke Zero every once in a while. <laughs> Yo, Coke Zero is good. Uh, Mountain Dew Zero is good. Diet 7-Up is amazing actually it tastes like a real seven up i mean to be honest though all of those like coca-cola versions don't hold a candle to mexican coke oh yeah for sure for sure but if you're trying to substitute sugar for some chemical right you know uh, the reason why i thought it was like an energy drink is because i feel like at some point like you said earlier uh you know soda was almost marketed for like 
quote unquote medicinal qualities. Yes. Does anybody I don't remember, remember that? Yeah, no. right. Well, yeah. No. Wait, Drugs. wait, 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 wait. Was J- Jones maybe was doing some of those? Well, no, I'm talking about like old timey. Oh. Cola. I'm not talking about within yeah. the last 20 years. I'm talking about like way, way back, uh-huh. like 40s, 50s, even earlier than that. Uh-huh. Sodas were predominantly marketed for some sort of like medicinal purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, like migraines or, you know, shit like that. That's kind of why cocaine was in it in the first place when, when Coke was originally selling the original recipe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's hmm. totally like the kind of zeitgeist that Moxie comes from. It was full of yeah. these disgusting herbal extracts that just made it taste like medicine. I mean, that's really what it was. You, right. you think that you're drinking yeah. medicine and yeah, and the disgusting medicine taste is like an aftertaste and it's so bad that it makes you want to take another sip so you can get back to the before taste. And so it's actually like <laughs> deceptively the most addictive soda you've ever had because it's like yeah you're drinking it to erase the memory of drinking it (laughs) yeah they're still pretty prominent in other countries like i know korea has a multitude of different drinks similar to that yeah that are not like that have some sort of like element to them that makes them not taste like the sodas that you and i drink or know about yeah filipino sodas are kind of the same too just, there's a few yeah. yeah i mean i've just like consumed so much junk food and now i am so jaded that i actually need like a disgusting flavor like just to to feel something you know like pleasure <laughs> spike yeah. with pain baby <laughs> All right. uh, (laughs) Next question we have from Instagram user underscore night underscore rhythms underscore is friend of the show, Brandon. I should have just said that. Uh, Brandon asks, who's worse, Ed Pisker or Juice Robinson? Now, hold on. I just want to say this real quick. I used to not like Juice Robinson. For anyone that's listening to this, Juice Robinson, Mm -hmm. he's a wrestler. He used to wrestle for NXT and then he uh, signed to New Japan in their uh, dojo program the Young Lions program, and kind of basically reworked his entire shtick. I don't remember Juice being in the black panties. Oh, he was. He was He was a Young Lion for about a year and a half, maybe two years. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right, yeah. go off. Sorry. Oh, no. And so, uh, he's improved quite a bit over the last, like, four years from his time in New Japan. Mm-hmm. But he's still there. I think he's, like, tagging with, uh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, the fucking Irish guy. I can't remember his name now. Fuck. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, but <laughs> oh, I Finley. To, I, Sorry, David yeah, Finley. Finley. Yes. Yeah. Fit Finley's son. Oh, yes, yeah, David Finley. Good. And I used to be one of those uh, Juice Robinson haters, and I just thought he was weird and uninteresting, and he was weird in like the not cool way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a post Maloney. <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. Just very bizarre. I wasn't really feeling it. And and now I'm way more into him now. I think he's a really good wrestler. Uh, so uh, I guess, yeah. Ju- well, also, fuck it. Any wrestler. Fucking Cheeseburger would whoop Ed Pisker's ass. Any wrestler. Uh, <laughs> it's not even a contest. Wait, is this a hypothetical fight or am I just saying who's better? No, I'm just saying that. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> we, get, we get a lot of questions like this because we're considered like the anti-Pisker show. So, uh, we- Oh, yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I would say Ed is worse because he can't wrestle and Juice can. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a good answer for any kind of cartoonist versus wrestler matchup. Yeah, uh, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, um, Daniel Klaus versus John Cena. I'm sorry, John, John Cena, Cena wins yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I've like kind of fallen off on on New Japan the last couple of years, but like I'll say that like Juice Robinson has like fitfully amused me a few times, and I yeah. can't say the same for Ed Pisker. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. 
You're done. So yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to answer the question because you, you guys canceled. know. You guys know what's up. Um, actually, the yeah. only cartoonist that might fare well is a friend of the show, Carly Hack. Carly's going to wrestling school, so. Yep, Carly is yoked Wait, out and ready to do damn. some body slams. I want to hear, yeah, I want to hear about that. We're going to have Carly on the show. Yeah, get uh, Carly on the show. They're, they're yeah, the up. best part yeah, about uh, this book. show is like I start telling people about like a year in advance that they're going to come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah we're going to have Charles Burns That's like real wrestling style. you got to yeah. build the heat first. Yeah, yeah. Know? So because like Carly, Carly <laughs> yeah, has been like a, a, sick promo. a guest that's <laughs> coming soon since like the show started. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, no, yeah, I love that. Jim Woodring. You're a coward. Yeah. You're a lily dog. <laughs> I'm going to whoop your ass all over this uh, county fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, all right. We got one last question, uh, yeah. Cam. Uh, Bad Hands have. Comics. Uh, that's, oh, uh, I love that. Yeah, that's Ness, right? Ne- I think. Yeah, Ness is some good ass out of Wild yeah, 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 yeah. That Amazon shit was wild over. The- I think mm-hmm. it felt like it was over the summer last year. I don't- it might have been later than that. But uh, yeah, yeah, Ness, you make good work. Got to wait till I drop my Amazon memoirs. Yeah. Ness asked, though, favorite Sex in the City moment? Oh, baby. All right. Well, me and Eileen are, are watching Sex in the City right now. I had never watched it before. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm now... Wait, did Eileen get you to do this? Or yeah, Eileen this just... is 100% Eileen. I mean, they'd never watched it either, but they're the one that dragged me into this. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, we're, we're we're too far in now. We got to finish it. Oh, we're, we're, we're like All three right. seasons deep, so... Nice. <laughs> I, I'm I'm committed at this point. I'm like totally out of TV shows too, so I, I don't have any better ideas. Yeah, Sex and the City rocks. Uh, best show ever. It has popped up in my comics a lot lately because I can't can't get these images out of my head. <laughs> it's 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 very bad. It's a very bad show. It's hard to pick a favorite moment because it's all bad. Um, but obviously, I'm very <laughs> very drawn to the sort of uh, uh, gender bendy elements that occasionally pop up. There's a really great episode where Charlotte is dating a photographer who is like always trying to get women into like drag, and that's that's like his thing. So Charlotte. Charlotte is just like wearing like a suit and a mustache and she looks amazing. There's another one where uh, Samantha gets addicted to Viagra, which is very funny. That's also very, very (laughs) up my alley. Yeah, I don't know. I just like the, yeah, I like the really, really dumb ones. Also, like, there's just like a lot of art gallery scenes because like Charlotte, I think I don't really understand what any of these ladies do for a living on the show exactly even though i've been watching like 50 episodes one of them definitely is involved in the arts somehow because they're in art galleries a lot and they're just like watching the gals like kind of milling about with the, the wine and cheese is just endlessly funny to me for reasons i, I can't i don't know it, I, it, I like the gender stuff i like the art stuff <sighs> i don't know if i have a favorite episode it's just it's all i can't remember i don't think i could recite like a single plot to you that's like how off (laughs) my brain has been turned right now like i literally i couldn't name any of the characters like (laughs) the show just washes into my into my brain and out of it and leaves absolutely nothing behind (laughs) 
So I've never actually seen a full episode, but everything you just described makes it seem like it's just entourage, but with women in New York. Dude, that is exactly what it is. Men in LA. That is exactly what it is. Okay. And um, (laughs) I was so enraptured by it as a young trans child because it's just like, I think for like a lot of 90s kids, sort of like the sort of like pop cultural ideal of like sophisticated city girl femininity and just like right they're all they always have their little drinks and they're going on dates and they have all their shoes and uh it's a very glamorous lifestyle and like i feel like the kind of like glitzy idea of womanhood that that show tries to sell you is like very evil but it also has like informed a lot of my imagination and so it comes out in my art a lot (laughs) Uh, good source of comedy, then. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah. It's a really funny show, but not yeah. always intentionally. The, the theme song's <laughs> right. a banger. I love those, like, oh, that, yeah, like, that kind of stock default, like, piano jazz, kind of like the Will and Grace theme song as well. I love shit that sounds like that. Yeah, it's like a glockenspiel <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Or a xylophone. <laughs> like, it's like Danny Elfman shit. <laughs> yeah, love that shit. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> and it sucks because like if you look oh, it up man. it's like you know like a 45 second clip but you want more of it well no i want more of it nobody else in the world wants more of that <laughs> yeah. but i want more of that <laughs> no I would maybe maybe we'll we'll come length. up with a, a new uh intro song yeah the uh sex, sex in the city. sex in the city theme song extended cut <laughs> yeah yeah Dude, that would yeah. be so funny man you guys should honestly get you should do some gutter boy sex in the city merch drop swag now that you've done oh, surprise hey, make, make us something we're down to collaborate oh, you, and we pay everybody to collaborate me? with so i was just that? gonna say can oh, you both could freestyle over a uh, sex and city <laughs> no, beat. no 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 oh, no no baby no 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 we don't make enough for that <laughs> you guys would kill it yeah you both would kill it oh, i'm just no. saying think oh, about no. it Hell i yeah. was yeah i was a pretty I, i'm very good at rapping yeah, we'll press we'll press a seven inch vinyl single. You know, yes. Gutter Boys first release. Blank white labels just, that are individually uh drawn on. Uh each yeah. copy's different. Yeah. Yeah, just saying, think about it. There's yeah. potential there. Hell yeah. Anyway. All right. So uh Sam, where can people find you online? Oh great. Uh I'd say my main my main uh venue is Instagram these days, and you can find my shit at uh Instagram.com slash brain booger industries great name great yeah name. thank you i'm kind of ashamed of it i've had it for you know since i was a teenager <laughs> i registered the domain name in 2014 i think nice. anyway yeah that's yours lean in yeah I'm, I'm leaning i'm leaning yeah yeah so there's that uh i have a patreon patreon.com slash brain booger uh brain booger industries big cartel yeah i have a new comic up at awrycomics.com and uh i think i think that's about it oh yeah Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on yeah, the show. We awesome. really appreciate it. Oh, it's been an honor. I hope I didn't fucking ramble too much, uh, but I, I'm a huge fan of the show. And I'm, we love the oh, rambling. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what yeah, we're here yeah, for. Yeah, that's yeah. the meat of the show is yeah. rambling. We had some good riffs. We had some good riffs. There you go. <laughs> Glad you asked me about soda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And lobster rolls. Oh, oh baby. Yeah. And now I got to eat. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, baby. I'm hungry, too. Yeah. Yes. And I'm, I'm definitely not going to be able to eat a lobster roll. Yeah, so, same. Fuck. Yeah, I would recommend it. Damn. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening. And again, we do appreciate our guest, Sam, for coming on to the show today. If you want, hit us up. You know the ats. We're not going to repeat them because I'm lazy. Uh, And uh, yeah, stay gutter, y'all. Yeah, stay gutter. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) I wanted to say it, too.